Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ego Check with the ID DM. I'm your host, Michael Mallon. And joining me for the third time is Teos. Teos, welcome back to the show to complete the hat trick. How are you doing hey. here? <laughs> it's fantastic to be here. Thanks for having me on three times. That's that's a, a privilege. I will try not to waste it uh, on today's show. No, so I was I was looking back, and you were the third guest ever on the podcast way back in 2016, wow. which man, that seems like a long time ago. And then on episode 51 back in 2019, which somehow is over two years ago. So yeah. uh, welcome back. And for those that don't know Teos, he goes by AlphaStream on Twitter. And his uh, site is alphastream.org. Um, you may have also seen him lately or heard him lately on the Mastering Dungeons podcast, along with Sean Merwin. Uh, they've been posting some great episodes recently tackling intro adventures and how to approach those. Uh, he also has uh, written a ton of things, and most recently, the uh, Rules for Collaborative Campaign Creation, which he talked about on a recent uh, D&D Dragon Talk podcast. So check out that episode for more Thanks. details. And you can get that Rules for Collaborative Campaign Creation free if you sign up for his mailing list which i have done so hey yeah thanks yeah that's that's wonderful i i greatly appreciate that it's uh i, I love this hobby it's been great and and yeah we've been around here for a long time haven't we <laughs> yes <laughs> and, and you're uh, incredibly active in the hobby and such an advocate uh for many good elements of, of this hobby and one of the topics that I was excited to dive into with you was about this idea of flowcharts and visual aids in in D&D &D and role-playing games. And I think we might disagree a bit, so that'll be fun. So awesome. I had tweeted out something about a week and a half ago. Um, I think it was an article from Atlas Obscura, and it presented these visual diagrams of those old choose your adventure books and it was all these branching paths and it had different colors and it is visually interesting and i posted it and said oh this would be a great thing for D D for role-playing games for dms who are trying to make sense of these big massive adventures and then a week later you posted that same image and are like here's why flowcharts are wrong <laughs> and i wrote back to you i was like i feel seen and attacked <laughs> so i just yeah i thought it'd be great to have a conversation because your article i think is really helpful about that but if you could not to go through everything that's in that article but what what were your thoughts because it seemed like it sparked some reactions in you yeah i mean so it was totally you know when i saw your tweet um I had I was familiar with that kind of concept of, of how this company is sort of bringing back the choose your own adventure books and then actually creating these flowcharts and so it was it was kind of fun to see that and think back on the history of those adventures where there are all these sort of choices we could call them <laughs> you know do you do X or Y where X or Y are some bizarre thing and and either one could murder you horribly exactly there's no and, no real logic to it yeah yeah and so. So I was thinking of that, but but also just because th this has been something, you know, sometimes things are sort of rattling around in my brain and it takes something else to really like 
cause them to, to kind of create some sort of cohesion and some sort of forward momentum. And so that's totally what this did, which is that recently I, I've sort of looked at all these various flowcharts in 5e uh, material, both organized play and the hardback books and, and some other PDFs too, and, and said to myself, I don't know that this is doing what we wanted it to do. And okay. so I wrote a, a blog post about that, which really tries to kind of look at some of the flow charts that have been in 5e products and say, you know, what, what, what is this? Is this really telling us much? Is it really helpful? And sort of maybe even the biggest thing. So one is just that, because I, honestly, I don't mind the graphic. Like the graphic's fine. You know, if you want to have a flow chart of Rhyme of the Frost Maiden and it's all just one leads to two, leads to three, leads to four cool and now i know in what order chapters go when they're chronological uh it's pretty and and it does have some info on it it has like some summary info on it so you know it's not bad um but i think that sometimes the designers especially something like storm king's thunder i think they think that there's a lot going on here and that that therefore the adventure is better for it and I don't know that there's a lot going on there. And therefore, I don't think the adventure really is much better. It's fine to have the image, but we didn't make a big adventure because we have a, a, a node point with like three nodules to it. You know, like, I, I don't know that that's a thing like like we've not necessarily made a great adventure. And so I tried to talk about that towards the end of it of well, what is what is a choice and what what do we want to do if if we really want sort of open play or real big choices well what does that look like because there are some other rpgs that do it more consistently i think yeah your article i think was talking about you know does this flowchart does it does it do what we want it to do and then this other question of, well, what do we want it to do? <laughs> so oh, yeah. it seemed to sort of take this idea of, oh, yeah, flowcharts could be interesting. Well, how could they be interesting? How could they be useful? And then what is actual choice? What is choice for the person running the game, the, the DM? And then how does that translate to choice for the players? So it felt like peeling like an onion and kind of found, yeah. finding more and more questions. And I thought it'd be great to try to you know, <laughs> figure out maybe some solutions for this or some yeah. ideas. So what do you think hasn't worked so, so far? Like you said, you know, just having a chronological, chronological list eh, that, you know, maybe that's helpful for some people. It doesn't seem to really provide that much more utility. Uh, some of the other flowcharts have maybe not been that beneficial or maybe added to the confusion of, well, what's really happening here? Um, yeah. Like, what what do you see as some of the pitfalls of trying to present really what's classically been walls of text into an image that might be yeah. useful? Like, what what gets in the way of that happening well? So I think that what what ends up often happening is that the if you really try to flowchart out something that's complicated. It's hard to do that, right? And, and the blog captures a uh, Knights Black Agents adventure that I've run in the past, and it, 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 you know, it's not like a necessarily pretty thing to look at. It's, it, in fact, you almost look at it and go, "Wow, what, what is this?" Because it's just sort of the names of sections of the adventure, but what it's really representing is, you know, you can get to this one point, and you can go down one path straight to this to reach the Forbidden Island. 
or you can go down another branch, which could itself branch to another place and then could lead back to that first branch and then go to the Forbidden Island, right? And so that is an adventure that actually has a lot of different ways you can approach it. And that's why the chart looks like this. And it's a bit of a messy sort of looking chart maybe or complicated. It, like it, it doesn't necessarily provide answers because it, it's a reference tool to tell you how to get to the different sections and, and what choices your, your players sort of have at a given point in time, depending on what chapter they're in. And that's very different than what, say, Rime of the Frostmaiden is trying to do, where all of the, the adventure goes sequentially across the chapters. The chapters actually have a number of sort of decision points, and there are some pretty hard-to-figure-out rules for how you progress from one chapter to the other, and they don't put that information in there. And so I think, you, you know, these tools you want them to be good and useful and and they can be whatever you want them to be but it, just as a visual tool i think it's important to, to do a better job of thinking about what information should be conveyed and what the point of it is like rhyme of the frost maiden really to me what this does it gives gives you the expected levels and a quick summary of what's happening it's, it's almost like an overview of the adventure progression it's not a flowchart, even though they call it an adventure flowchart. And and actually what I'd love to have here is it, to make it a sort of more of a flowchart is to say, here are the rules for when you advance to the next piece. And then, then it would be more a, a useful pro pro progression chart because there aren't this, there are no decisions like this. Any of the big decisions in the adventure are actually inside of individual chapters. And that's not represented here at all, right? It does seem like whether, I mean, and I think sometimes this idea of even the term flowchart, I think we all have this idea of what that is or, mm -hmm. you know, okay, there's arrows and branches and it, there, it's a more of a sequential type of situation. And I think for the most part, D&D &D doesn't work that way or role-playing games. <laughs> it's more chaotic where yeah. a player might get a hankering to go do something that's not in the adventure or you can lay on as thick as you want. Hey, here's the quest. You, you, you should all do this quest. Like, this is what we're doing. Yeah. And the players might be like, no, no, we want to go to this shop and talk to this guy and see what his long lost thing is. And we want to go do that. It's like, oh, and that's not going to be anywhere in some flow chart. But sometimes the game goes in that direction. I mean, I think with a lot of these aids, it'd be useful to say, hey, this is a suggestion or this is one way this right. adventure could unfold. It seems like there's a lot of, I don't know, there's so many creative minds in this field that, and I've seen some other products, non-D&D products that folks have shared with me when I put this out on, on Twitter. They're like, oh, check out this chart from this adventure that's on the DMs Guild. And it was pretty simple yeah. illustration of had like three pictures and three little text bubbles it's like hey here's what you can expect at the beginning then this happens and then this happens and it gives the person running the game this who what when where and why overview in this one simple graphic and it's it's not perfect though it's it's a useful tool potentially for some people yeah it, it just seems like there should be more of that because uh, yeah. I went back and was looking at some of the uh, adventures from earlier in the run of 5e just to see, like, well, what was what was in some of the earlier books? And there's really not much of anything. There's a table of contents. No. Yeah. And I remember I got lost with Curse of Strahd be 
because there's barely even an intro adventure. It's just here's this dump of information about yeah. Barovia, and oh, there's an intro adventure in Appendix B that sort of introduces people, but not really. It just gives you a vibe. And then it's just like, okay, good luck. Read the book and figure it out, which I didn't do very well because the campaign <laughs> stalled. It's like, I don't really know right. where to go. And why did it stall? Because you didn't know where to go, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So like in that book, I'm thinking, okay, how would you, how could they give me a page or two that was some type of summary or some type of visual of begin here, maybe go there, maybe do this. And then eventually you get to this location. Like, yeah, not yeah. everyone needs to follow that path, but maybe there's some type of visual, oh, here's how I can organize this information. I mean, because each adventure, like, I mean, even going back to Horde of the Dragon Queen or Waterdeep Dragon Heist, any of the earlier books that I have, it's dense. And yeah, yeah. I mean, you're an experienced person running these games, so maybe you don't need these no, but I do. To help you. I think we all do. Yeah. So, like, what would help you run some of this stuff? Like, if you could design yeah. a chart, an image, a graphic, like, what would be helpful? Good question. Um, I think that what I would love these graphics to do is, so in terms of, you know, they should, you know, I think you want to look at your adventure and say, what needs to be communicated about my about my adventure? So like Curse of Strahd, for example, has, you know, the tarot deck that you're going to read. And then based on that, things will be in certain locations that will be sort of trigger points for you to gain advantages or learn information. And so I could almost imagine like a map of Barovia with those little possible points there. So you know where they might be. And then, I don't know, you would, you know, tick off the ones that are actually, you're actually using or something like that. Um, and... For sure, it, to me, the adventure that really could have used like a flowchart type information would be Princes of the Apocalypse, which is is a, a bit of a mess structurally because sort of like what you're describing with Strahd, it, it has in chapter six a chapter that can be excursions, like just little side tracks, or mm -hmm. it can be the beginning of the adventure. And a lot of DM, I think they thought everybody would be playing the starter set and then playing that versus what people really did is they'd start over new and they'd be reading, trying to figure out how to make <laughs> it work. Because even if you start in chapter six, then you have to go back to chapter one and figure out which parts are for when you use chapter six as your start versus for when you came in at a higher level. And it's super confusing. And then and, and because it's supposed to be a kind of sandbox experience, you might go to like towards the earth temple area or the air temple area and and knowing where that's going to lead the dm wants to know what do i need to prep next or where can right. i expect people to go and and those pieces of information would be really valuable right so I, I think it's really very adventure specific right i think dungeon of the mad mage could be totally different in what it provides to help you do a good dungeon crawl and create good story around the various areas that you could navigate to um so, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Well, and I was looking, so even some of the things that I like that, again, I, I sort of consider visual aids are a pronunciation key. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just think all the books should have that. It's really useful. And one of the things I was looking at, uh, again, in the Dragon Heist, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, is they have this cartoon image of the yawning portal at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And it yeah. has a... Uh, big cast of characters and each character has a number over it 
And then you can go to another page and like, oh, that's what this character is. It's a little goofy. And at the same time, it's like, oh, that that's an interesting thing they tried there. Like yeah. having, a, having a cast of characters presented visually that's not just here's a piece of art on page 87 and here's another pay piece of art on page 150 like having something consolidated is, is, is nice and it reminds me of this book i read during the pandemic uh, the seven and a half deaths of evelyn hardcastle which is such a great title <laughs> it's a great title. it's a fantastic book um but it's also very confusing because there's a lot of people coming and going and at the beginning of the book is an invitation and mm. it's this like, you know, scripted out invitation and it has the cast of characters like here's who's invited to this masquerade ball. And so you can rev as you're reading, you can revert back to the invitation. It's like, oh, that's who this person is. They're the viceroy or whatever. Or, um, And again, it was just an interesting way to present information to try to help the reader follow along. It's like, yeah, you're probably going to get a little lost in who's who. So we're going to put this thing up front as an anchor of you could go back to it any time and say, oh, right, this is that person's sister. And yeah, yeah. like stuff like that is interesting. I feel like certainly I, I, you know, I imagine space is a concern that any one less page they have to print is a lot of money they save for these hardback adventures. It'd be really nice if they could experiment with some of these aids to help people. Yeah. I don't know, get a handle on some of these, because it, it's really dense. It's a big ask, I think, to put out these books, and more or less one person in the group has to master that information and then dole it out to the players. I, yeah, and I, well, I think this is the time for them to do things like that, because I think what they're finding out is, one, your people who have been around for a while have not run everything, can't run everything, no. with a very few exceptions, and those people are heroes. But, <laughs> but the vast majority God of, bless of you. mortals, yeah, <laughs> hats off to you, it's not me. Uh, the vast majority of us mortals, we have run a couple, uh, and running all of them is nowhere close to something we can do. And so, you know, Wizards has done some things, and same thing with the material, like, you know, we have not played all the subclasses. Uh, good luck doing that, right? Like, <laughs> there are so many subclasses, or so many ancestries, or any of that. And so, you know, they're doing things like they're starting to use a bigger font in their books, right? And and I think a few things have been a little bit less page count. And so I think that we are at the place where an adventure can be the same page count or whatever, but a slightly larger font, and it can have some of these tools and aids. I, th I think I'd love to see books, you know, something that Sean and I have talked about on, the, on this on the show, on the podcast, is, you know, these adventures should have instructions for the DM. I mean, almost any of these books, in theory, is a gateway product meant to attract new new DMs. And so it should really be helpful. The beginning should be, at least the beginning, should be super easy to run. And devoting that space through all kinds of graphics, and again, it's whatever the job needs, right? Like if mm -hmm. if you're starting with an A-B choice, then put a simple flowchart in. You know, err on the side of too much uh, of that because people need different types of information uh, instead of cramming in where encounter, right? Because like a, a place like... Um, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden or Storm King, they have more content than you're going to play. In some cases, a lot more content than you're going to play. And you could probably take out one of those sections that is a little weak and put in 
some visual information that really helps you run it better, right? Yeah, and, and we're talking about space, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, maybe in a previous episode with, with Mike Shea, possibly. I can't remember. <laughs> Though they have unlimited access to, to video, and yeah. you know you could pop in a sidebar like, hey, for an example of how this all links together or how you might run this, go to this website and there's a brief five-minute YouTube video with some graphics and maybe a sizzle mm -hmm. reel, or here's an example of how you might run this NPC. Or, and maybe that stuff exists. That's one of the reasons I want to talk to you, because you're more in the weeds on all this stuff than I am, because I sometimes think, like, oh, somebody should do this, and then somebody will write back. They have. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, cool, I mean, great. But it seems I, like there's such don't. a there's such a opportunity for the folks who are creating these, these adventures to really put visual or video out there. It's like, Hey, here's how you actually use this as in not, here's yeah. not, you don't have to use it this way, but here's one way it's, you could. It's actually almost the opposite. So I like your idea, but, but what I've actually seen. So when rhyme came out, there were, you know, Sean and I on Mastering Dungeons, we did we did like a really deep dive into it and mm -hmm. kind of looked at it very analytically, very not, critically, not in a negative way, but, you know, what are the underpinnings and what can we learn by looking at this and sort of looking at its guts? And so there were a couple of parts that were like, ooh, how does this play? I would love to see this. And then people would be doing a live stream and I'd go watch and it would be one of the people who worked on the book even and they would actually change it. <laughs> So I guess what it confirmed is that maybe that wasn't the best design ever. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily something that person designed, mind you. So it's not. But so but, you know, it was interesting that there isn't isn't a how to get past that rough spot because the person actually modified it heavily. Right. Or, mm -hmm. you know, the dragon fight can be a little it looks really kind of easy on paper. And so then it was interesting to see, you know, a DM that I know well run it and vastly pump it up. Right. And so, OK, or. Yeah, it's just it's funny because I think the answer is people really run things very differently. And I'm not sure that there are too many people at Wizards that truly have the holistic view of the product versus worked mm. on a part of it, right? Okay. And I could be totally wrong about that, but my guess is that everybody's working on so many things at so many different points in time that you don't necessarily know what your final product looks like. So, I mean, that can happen for me too when I'm working on an adventure, it may come out differently than what I turned in. And so I may not know how to run it 100% either, right? Um, like, wait, what happens? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and and uh, I think, you know, it's nice when people will tell me, hey, we made the following changes. But I also understand if they don't, because that means they have to not just make the changes, but keep an accounting of everything they change so they can just tell me. And I'm okay if they don't tell me. This is my personal view. Um, they can just do whatever they want. I'm, it's, I'm a work for hire, and I handed it in. If they want to change it, that's fine. You know, I don't see my work as perfect, so it's fine. Uh, but not everybody feels that way, and so I think more companies are starting to sort of give you a here's what we changed, but but that's that's work. That's a lot of work for somebody <laughs> to write all those notes down of what they changed and why. And just as an outsider, as a consumer, it does seem like they're bringing in more talent, uh, more a, a greater diversity of talent, which is excellent, and at the same time, maybe makes it more a little bit more challenging to have a coherent product at at the end. Yeah. And like you yeah. said, like who 
or how many folks are sort of paying attention to how all the pieces line up together and how to, you know, convey that to the person buying the book, which is ultimately typically a DM who's going to try to make sense of it and use it, use it at a table somewhere. And, you know, I both know a lot of people who've done this and I've done this myself where I've had responsibility for organized play adventures, having a cohesive theme across, you know, years, not just a trilogy of the adventures and not just an adventure, you know, that, that several people worked on. Like I've had those kinds of responsibilities and it is extremely hard work, but I think it is the work. And so I, I sort of don't accept uh failure at that level, let's say organizational failure. Like I do think that someone should really be looking carefully at whether these adventures work as a cohesive whole. Like if, if the story falls apart, you know, that's a mistake. And, and I'm not looking, not that everybody needs to be perfect or anything needs to be perfect. My work's not perfect, but I think that is a thing to look at, right? That is an improvement point for D and D uh, is to look at these things holistically and say, is this working? Is this gelled together? Uh, and, and it's sort of funny that, you know, if you ask, I think, people about the last few big adventures, there's sort of been a, there's been a difference between how it's marketed and then what people actually find once they delve into the product. And that almost says something, right? When your marketing team wants to tell a different story than what your product adventure actually tells, why? <laughs> why is that? That sounds like it leads to a lot of confusion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> to I mean, put it mildly. Yeah, and, and and well, and historically, uh TSR Wizards, they've both struggled with how do you balance marketing uh with the production schedule because sometimes it can be late in the game that somebody in marketing goes, "You know what would be a better message is the following." Well, here's what we've written, you know. Right. And that that's a hard thing to deal with, but again, you know, the point of these things is supposed to be that they're great products. And so I, I think there needs to be that heavy development um, because when you do have that heavy development that comes in at the end and says, wait a minute, this isn't cohesive enough, then it gets better. Um, but it, but it involves doing a lot of work and I've lost a lot of sleep, you know, making adventure trilogies work together or, or even a year's worth of adventures, you know, because sometimes you realize, well, we never ticked off that checkbox that we said we would, check off um so we've got to somehow get that done here so that people have that experience and so the story makes sense i've got to do that someone has to do it and you ask the author and the author often says i'm spent <laughs> you go, okay well then i'll do it <laughs> and you do it right because otherwise people will play the adventures and go you know what never made sense for me <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I, a thing that i've i feel like harping is probably the right word is just that the adventures are massive in, in scale yeah. in terms of a time commitment, not only for preparation. So as a DM, you sort of have to get your head around, okay, where, how's the start? Then where does it go? How does it end? What are the themes involved? Who are the, who's the cast of characters? What factions do I need to know about? And again, me being visual, it's like, okay, well, what aids can be useful, whether it's, Hey, here's a cast of characters, or here's a hierarchy of factions. Here's how they relate. Yeah. Here's a Venn diagram or a family tree of different people involved, whatever that might be. And then to actually play these adventures, and even if you have a group that's high functioning in the terms of it's stable, they meet mm -hmm. consistently, 
you know, even if you play weekly or biweekly, you're looking at a year yeah. or two to get through a lot of this content. It, it's a big ask. And it is a big ask. To just have these really, I mean, I, mean, I realize it's a book. And a wall of text with some charts, a few maps here and there, and then you just kind of drop it on the table. Be like, okay, good luck. Go, go make that work at the table. It seems yeah. like there can be more support, and I think, you know, getting back to what you were saying, maybe about ten minutes ago, of like, hey, we've been, <laughs> we've been doing this for a while. The, <laughs> yeah. the community has really sprouted up, I think, to help people run this content. Like back in the 4E days, it was like, well, how can I do this better or that better? And people were putting out blogs and writing articles yeah. and writing yeah. all this supplemental content of, hey, this is a great game. Here's here's how you can do it. Here's how you can be a better dungeon master. Here's how you can be a better player. And it it seems like the community is still doing that a bit, and it hasn't been as internalized by the brand itself as maybe it could be. And again, that's, yeah, why, I mean, that's why I asked like, am I missing something? No. And I mean, I think, you know, the perfect example of that is probably descent into Avernus, uh, which is Baldur's gate descent into Avernus. And if stories are true, you know, it sounds like that Baldur's gate thing was sort of added at one point. And when you play it, there's sort of, there isn't this emotional gripping piece around I guess if you if you very quickly looked at it, you'd think like, oh, probably Baldur's Gate is going to descend descend into Avernus. Uh, we're saving Baldur's Gate, and then you're going to oh, Elturel is going to sink. In fact, it did, and I don't know that I'm feeling that emotionally, but I'm supposed to be motivated. What's and and there's a lot of you know a common criticism is what what is the motivation for these various characters, and that's where you know Justice Harman and Anthony Joyce came together and created this Fall of Elturel. Uh, supplement on the DMs Guild that gives you an alternate start where this becomes a visceral, emotional experience that motivates you. And and lots of campaigns use that because it's almost like what should have been there, right? Mm -hmm. and, and clearly when they wrote it, they wrote it with that passion of, you know what this adventure needs? It needs this. And it does, right? And it really is true that it needs that piece. Um, and 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 that's that's kind of yeah, and I think that's some of what's behind my blog post is not just, you know, what's up with this flow chart, but more that, you know, we don't want to get clouded, fooled, whatever you want to call it, into thinking that a flow chart solves our problems. Just like these endless quest books, right? The endless quest books are fun. They're innocent fun. But some of those choices are just so dissatisfying. <laughs> and, and no chart is going to get you out of that. That at the end of the day, if the writing is... You know, there is a chest. Do you want to pick the lock? And you have no way of discerning whether it's good or bad to do this. Well, that's just the way these, you know, that's where your book, your your, your love for these books will only take you so far because it's a little bit, you know, it, it kind of punches you in the face as you're reading it. Right. <laughs> you turn left or turn right. Yeah. And if you know, one of those the choices is certain death and the other is like, oh, I get to do something fun. But there's really no agency or rhyme or reason to that choice. Then, as a player, that yeah. probably doesn't feel that good. Yeah, and it's the same way in these adventures. In that, you know, like Storm King Slender makes sort of this big deal about how there are these four different, four or five different places you can go uh, to visit individual giants. And the first thing I think of is, wow, when we did back 
in the day against the Giants. The fun of it was going through this incremental visit of every single Giant type. So you really got these Giant experiences. But all right, I'm just going to have one. So there's a choice of which one to go to. But when you look at the material, it'll be a very imperfect choice. You're at this oracle and you're going to ask some questions, which you may ask smartly or not, probably some combination depending on your adventuring group. And you're just going to go somewhere. But the chances that you could really learn something that says, aha, we must go to the stone giants. That's the key to victory. You're not going to get that. Right. And so there really kind of isn't a choice. You're just randomly choosing one, in which case the DM should probably just run the one they want to run because they'll do the best job with that one right versus some tiny bit of information haphazardly randomly pointing the group towards one of them that may or may not be fun for them and you talk about that which is this and i think you you phrase it as the illusion of choice mm-hmm. for the player and, and that seems to be such a vital skill for DMs to have is to set up a scenario to prepare, say, okay, uh, just as an example, because somebody on Twitter recently was talking about cultists. And Mm -hmm. so let's say as a DM, you prepare, okay, I think it's time for cultists to be in this adventure. So I'm going to prepare a code. I'll come up with an NPC, come up with a few plot hooks. It's like, okay, how do I almost trick the players into thinking like, oh, we discovered some cultists. Let's go go do that. (laughs) Yeah. And I think there's a lot of tools for DMs to do that where, you know, players enter a town and you probably know your players of, do they want to go to an inn? Do they want to go to a shop and a a blacksmith, a church, a library? And it's like, regardless of where they go and who they talk to, you can just infuse this plot hook of, you know, oh, my daughter's missing or, you know, my spouse is, you know, off on this cold or, you know, you can come up with a million different ways to tie in whatever the players do to like, Oh, there's this cult thing going on. Let's go explore that. And you can make it feel as if that happened organically at the table where the players feel, Oh, we figured this out or we made this up. And meanwhile, Mm -hmm. you're like, Hey, this is what I prepared. This is what we're doing. And I don't know if (laughs) looking at your face, if you're like cringing about that, or if you feel like that, that's the game. Like that, that's DMing. Like what, what are your thoughts? So I think that choice, you want choice to, to cause the, the ideal choice. You know, you have a great choice when your players suddenly are so into what they're doing that you as DM can just sit back and watch for a while. Mm-hmm. Because they are really considering this. They may be doing it in character, out of character, but they, they are into it, right? You know, should we do this or that or the other? And, and that, for that to happen, you have to have information because they need enough facts to discuss back and forth, right? Well, if we do this, then the other, you know, if we go to the tavern, you know, so they must trade information to, to, be, to have a discussion. If it's just left or right, you know, oh, I like to use the rule of always going right. Oh, I don't. I mean, that's not a conversation. It'll last two seconds, right? Mm-hmm. But something with, with kind of data and facts and interesting things about it, and even better, personal ties will cause really neat discussions where they'll go back and forth, right? And those are the kind of things where you say, like, um, the mayor turns to you and says, you cleared out the temple, um, 
I, th I would be glad to give you a charter to run a business if you can tell me what your business will be. And suddenly it's like, wait, we can we can have a business here. Well, what should I? You know, they're going to discuss things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 based on your choice of business, I'll assign you one of these three, uh, you know, masters to help you, and they'll serve you. And now, you know, that's you can tell the kind of campaign that's going to be. It's going to be a very different campaign than one when we're just deciding to go left and, and right without information. And and even when the information doesn't super matter. Providing it creates the experience, right? So like in um, a Dwarven Forge project that I did, there is one room that or there's a hallway and there's two doors. And so this is essentially left or right. It doesn't really matter which way you go to first. But one of them has this acrid smell coming from under the door and has kind of corrosion along the door. The other has like all these lock mechanisms on it. Uh, also, the hallway before it was interesting. So, so you've right. probably already been doing some neat things. And now you come to this choice. And it's not like the choice reveals one or the other, but you will have a preference and you can have a discussion about it. And that is to choice, even though it's more like an illusion of choice. It's interesting. And it's, you know, and, and the fact is both those things are telling you a little bit about what's behind. One is a very acid filled uh, two headed crocodile type of experience. And the other one is a trap corridor. Uh, that that you're going to go through, and so it's giving you a little bit of window into what each room is like, right? And, and what the group is maybe more interested in, or feels like, you know, ah, we probably can't handle that, but you know, our yeah. rogue can probably handle this door. So let's it, it sort mm -hmm. of tells you how the maybe players want to approach problem solving yeah. going forward. And you know, an interesting thing is that in this, you know, to tie it sort of into flowcharts, I think Adventures League, if, I don't know if they still do or, or if it's just something they did for a while, but during the 5e time, they put in a, a demand that adventure writers had to put in a flowchart. Mm -hmm. And what you often ended up was, you know, sort of four things all in a row, right, with lines joining them because sure. there weren't any choices. Or there is a, you know, go to the to the tavern first and then go to step three, you know, like it's sort of one leads to two, a two B three, and you're going to do both two, a and two B, but you can go to either first. Okay, great. I don't know that we needed a chart for that. And, and I think the thought it's a good idea, which is we want to encourage more open play, but the flow chart doesn't necessarily give that. If you want open play, you have to learn how to write for that, which is not easy. But there are people and systems and, and RPGs that do it way better. And if we want to learn from that, then we've got to look at how that works, right, and, and come up with that. Well, what's an example of a graphic or an aid that's not just a bunch of text for more of an open sandbox type of adventure where it helps the person running it? What does yeah, that even look question. like? Um, you know, so flowchart wise, there, I, I share that Knights Black Agents uh, adventure that's uh, called the Red Connection, mm -hmm. and and really what it is is that you can you can leapfrog various points plot wise to act on sort of hunches or pieces of information you might get earlier than other groups. So you could just sort of essentially skip ahead. Uh, and it's still a rewarding experience because there's still plenty of danger. Plus, a lot of the fun of a game like Knights Black Agents isn't that you must defeat, you know, all the orcs in the room. It's more about what you're picking up and learning and, and, and the fun of doing it. 
and less about, you know, experience point type thing. So it's easier to skip ahead. Um, but on the other hand, another group might not pick up on exactly all those clues or may want to follow every trail they're finding. And so they'll have more sort of stop points along this decision flowchart that lead later to the same common area. Um, and so you see sort of this, it's almost like, you know, a straight line that then balloons out to several options that you may or may not take, or you might just go straight through that. And then it'll come together and then again expand out before you finally reach to the, the conclusion. And even at the conclusion, it can play out differently based on which branches you chose earlier. But that's, you know, you get that graphic depiction of what's going on there because it is. Well, it reminds me, as, as I didn't run the adventure, but I played in it during the pandemic, uh, tomb, of, tomb of Annihilation, mm -hmm. where you you start out in this town and then you get tasked with a quest pretty early on, and then you get to choose a guide. I think based on who you choose, that might take you in different directions. And then there's you can kind of go do whatever you want, which reminded me of you know these big sprawling open world video games where yeah. it's like the clock is ticking. Well, I'm going to go over here and help these villagers for a while. <laughs> then I'm going to go over here and do some other quest. And meanwhile, there's this urgency. And at the same time, it's like, what? we kind of got in trouble with the DM. It's like, you know, you do have this soulmonger thing you have to find. <laughs> and then finally, you know, you, you get to the tomb or you have to, you know, get your way into there. And yeah. so it seemed like it, it starts narrow. It really expands out. But then almost like a diamond, it, it comes back to a focal point at the end and even visualizing that somehow could be useful with yeah. where you start. And then here are some different adventures, sub adventures you could get to along the way, but eventually you kind of come to this conclusion that sounds like everybody, I mean, I haven't run the adventure, but I think that's yeah. like the big, the tomb is sort of like, I mean, it's the name of the adventure. So that's yeah. where you're going to end up. And I like it. I like the adventure a lot, but something that uh, other DMs have not liked about it is I think that they find that sort of middle point, the, the, the jungle crawl, uh, overwhelming and hard to figure out. Uh, and even the beginning sort of arriving in town, sort of what, what are my options? What should I do? And, and the, what I do to sort of solve it is that I will give the kind of what you said, where certain, uh, so it sounds like your DM might have sort of used this approach where you can give certain um, guides knowledge of certain areas more than they already have in the book. They usually have like a thing they're doing, but they can technically take you anywhere, mm -hmm. but only I think one or two actually know the, the destination, the final destination you want to go to. And they're sort of loath to give it up initially. Um, so one way to solve it is to really create a visual of the map and then overlay the different points that these guides could take you to. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think that's a very fun way to do it. One is the guides, you'll get sick of them. So you don't want one guide for the entire adventure. It's sort of fun to swap out and even put the guides in different places, right? Places that you're likely to go to, you could pick up more guides who then unlock more of the jungle for you. And that's the way I kind of ran it. It worked really well for me. It won't necessarily work for everybody, but that's a graphic I could I can envision. I can visual this visual that has sort of these pathways that are all different guides mm -hmm. and that would take you through. Or one way to do it, another possible thing to make DMs happy, especially those that maybe want a shorter run, mm -hmm. is possible paths through the jungle 
mm-hmm. right? Like sure. you could go to Firefinger, the Grung Village, this place, which would unlock the where to go for the endpoint, and then the endpoint. You know, that could be a pleasing romp through the jungle, like a suggested path. And here's another suggested path that's longer. And here's one that's really long. And that might be a really cool visual, sort of three different ways you can run this adventure uh, for a certain length of time. And you know exactly what to go off. And it could tell you, hey, you can swap some things. These are just our suggestions. But now you've got a menu that you could go off of, right? That'd be cool. Right. And that wouldn't have to be in the hardcover book. That could be... I mean, a sentence or two on a sidebar, like, hey, for potential paths on how to get your players from Chult, uh, not Chult, what's the name, Port? Nianzaru. Yeah, thank you. To get from there to the tomb, like through the jungle, like go to this webpage and you go to the webpage and then there's these pretty fancy illustrations of, okay, here's option one, here's option two, here's option three, with maybe a brief write-up. And it just to give DMs an idea of, oh, this is what it would look like. And how can yeah, I adapt that to the game? Rhyme of the Frostmaiden is the same way in that, you know, in theory, it's all very linear. The Ten Towns lead to the outskirts of the Ten Towns of Greater Dale leads to, you know, another place where you start doing more plot stuff that I won't spoil. But when you actually look at the book, that chapter one, Ten Towns, has a whole bunch of things you could do. And you're only supposed to do a few of them. And there are two starting quests one of which has multiple steps. And then there are these individual, each town has quests. And, it, and I think that a lot of, like, I look at that and I don't think it's necessarily too hard, but I think a lot of a new DM looks at that and it can really be overwhelming. And that's where that same sort of approach could be. Here is a way you could do this, right? You could choose these three towns and this starting quest, and here's how it would play out. And that could be your flow chart, right? You take the Chwinga starting quest you start in Bryn Shander, you move to, you know, um, uh, Kyre, you know, Conig, and then you go to another one and, and you know, and, and, and then you've got your, your three, three towns, four quests, whatever you've met your prerequisite. Now you go to chapter two for chapter two, you know, maybe you focus on the Dwergar experience. So you do these different encounters that give you Dwergar stuff. Now you're ready to go to chapter three. And and I think something like that could be really handy and, and more fun, more useful than just the flow charts that they're putting in. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that reminds me of Horde of the Dragon Queen, which years ago I, I ran that. And I remember a big issue at the time. And I remember Twitter being all buzz and people were writing articles about it, I think myself included, because there's all these options right in chapter one. And kind of the consensus was this is a bloodbath for level one players. Like if we make them <laughs> yeah. do all this stuff, it's it's quite impossible or um, very challenging for players to actually survive all this. And it's said in the book, although it's it's not hidden, but it, you could easily miss it of, you know, you don't have to do all these. Here are some options. Yeah. But a lot of people either miss that or you read it and you're like, well, it's in the book. I have to do it. You know, it's yeah. the intro adventure, so it must mean I need put my players through all these paces. And it, it certainly works better if you just pick one or two of them. Then you have the encounter with a dragon and all that, and it, you, you're off and running. Yeah. But since the, the text is all in there, I think our completest or the way we try to run things <laughs> is like, oh, yeah. someone spent the time to organize this adventure. They listed it out. I should use it. And so that means I have to put the players through all the different paces. 
rather than like you're saying like, hey, we wrote this big book. Here's how you could approach it. And you don't have to use all of it for every for every campaign. Mm -hmm. Here are some examples of how you can pick and choose. And that could be, you know, things on the official Watsi site and with some images mm -hmm. and some nifty kind of interactive graphics or. You know, we were talking earlier about videos of having some of the writers or designers even having a brief tutorial almost of, yeah. hey, here's this encounter, this social encounter. Here's three different ways you could run it. And they present the information in one way with players. And then it's like, okay, here's scenario two. And it's a little bit different, accomplishes some different goals. It reminds me of when I was <laughs> you know, in in graduate school for a therapist, we would watch videos of people doing therapy. Yeah. There's these three famous therapists with different therapy approaches with the mm. same client. And granted it was like, and I'm pretty sure it was an actress, although maybe it was a real client. Mm. It's been a while, but regardless, like you watch these brief little therapy segments with each provider and you saw it go in different directions. And then you kind of talked about, well, what do you think? Or what do you think is closer to your approach? Yeah. It just seems like they should be doing stuff like that to make it easier because, you know, maybe experienced yeah. DMs don't need that. But folks who are just starting out, I think it would be brilliant to see, oh, here's how Perkins or somebody else, here's how they take the same piece of content and deliver it in different ways. It might be freeing for folks to be like, oh, I can do my own thing. Yeah, and one of the things that's tough timing-wise is that, you know, everybody gets the book in September when the big book comes out, right? So we're all going to get, you know, beyond the witch light and we're all going to take a look at it. And, and some of us will take the time to actually read it immediately and dissect <laughs> it, uh, which I, you know, I mean, I look forward to, but, but it, that's the kind of thing I try to do for our podcast. You know, Sean and I will, will read these things and it's like, Oh man, we've got to, I've got to read chapter three tonight because tomorrow we're talking about it. Oh goodness. Got to really figure this out. How, what's this telling me? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and sometimes we get comments like, well, you guys should really play it first. And I'm like, well, that'll be a year from now that I can then provide information on this because that's about what it's going to take for me to play it in a way that I'm going to enjoy. It's going to be a year of play before I can talk about it. And, and even for people who are faster than I am at sort of running things, you, you, you know, it's really six months before you're really going to get good information, right? So say like Mike Shea, right? Well, he'll, he'll on his blog cover how to do things or on YouTube. And, you know, he's talking through Rhyme now, right? And we're almost at the year mark from when it released. Um, but that's the real life behind this is that we can't give you great breakdowns instantaneously through actual play. Only wizards could do that. And, and my guess is even they can't do it because they would need to have somebody who understands that, who has the holistic vision of the product, which may just be a couple of people who then would have to somehow go in and, and start producing these. Well, they're, they actually wrote that book a long time ago mm -hmm. and it may have changed you know, in minor. And so it's, it's hard. It's a really hard task. I, I don't know what the answer is, but, but for sure. And maybe what rides side on the answer being is, is that the books could have more of an eye towards more of a holistic review, right? Which is what technically the developer does, right? So, so folks who don't know this, um, there is a producer uh, and there is a, a sort of story developer, you know, someone who, who uh, these aren't necessarily the same thing. The producer is sort of watching the, the development cycle of this book 
from idea inception to uh, contracting people and art and all that sort of stuff and making sure that it's going to launch on the right day. And they're the person whose job it is to make sure the work keep continues on pace, gets done, and it's a good product on the end. And then actual people are doing the work. Um, and then you have someone who drew up the story, right? One of these main Watsi folks, like a Chris Perkins, who is going to say, uh, we should do a story that is, you know, a Serac based and involves Chult and starts working through it and does sort of an outline of it. And then they're going to contract people and all this. But there also needs to be just like there's an editor, right? So if I turn in words, someone will edit them to make sure that they're good words. Mm -hmm. And that's important because even if I'm a better writer than I am, there will be things that when a different person reads it, it'll stick out. And they'll go, you know, there is a better way to say this. I know what you're trying to say, but you are in your head because you're the writer. I'm not, and I know this needs to be different. And, and that's why you must have editors. But similarly, you should have developers who aren't just looking at, say, grammar or the language of D&D uh, or readability, but they're looking at the experience of it. And that the experience hits the goals that you've set for the product. And, and I think there could be more of that. That, that. And that would tie into these tools that you're talking about and these visuals, because they would say, this is, you know, here are the three most confusing parts of this where we could provide a tool to clear that up. And whatever it might be, it could be a video of somehow they find a way to make that easy. It could be a handout. Um, you know, player handouts can be a lot of clarity. Like, like organized play uses those a lot because we can often get away with making very cheap handouts that players are okay with. Okay. I mean, it can just be bullet points and people are totally happy versus a published work needs it to look really fancy and fun, right? Um, but those are great because because they, they do help. Like there's such a difference between me telling six players uh, what their options are and me handing you six individual pieces of paper that collect the options. You'll process that information much better. And I would think with, with, with most of these adventures, or really any adventure, if you've played it once, you've played it once. And <laughs> it's so dependent on the other players in your group and the yeah. person running the game. And, you know, I could play Tomb of Annihilation again with a different DM or different players, and I imagine it would probably play quite a bit differently. Yeah. Um, it sounds like when you were saying the, they need more producers – you know, the word that came to my mind is like somebody overseeing playability that yeah. you can have a lot of great content, whether it's you know combat, exploration, role-playing, social encounters, but how do you use it and how does it function together as this cohesive campaign or adventure? And it sounds like maybe some of that gets, gets lost along the way of in the writing and how does that translate into actually using it? Yeah. And, and it's a challenge because D&D &D is so many things, right? It is the adventure, but it's also the larger branding experience. It's the messaging behind it. It's the attempt to bring in people from different audiences. And, and, and we might say off the cuff, we'll just make a darn good adventure. That's what I want. But, but no, it's not. what well, We actually want a great D&D &D with lots of players. Uh, lots of new DMs. We want diverse voices. We want all these different things. And, and so having that requires D&D &D to function as it does, which is very large and very enormous and very complicated. And, and it's why it's not just a simple thing. I think for a different company, it could be a simpler thing to say, well, you know, we can only afford this much extra effort and here's how we'd apply that. 
-hmm. right? Uh, and it would be to make an easy to run adventure. And that becomes simple because you, you, because your adventure is sort of your selling point and end of story. But with D&D, we can see that, I mean, they've got nerds candy that's branded. They've got branded Nerf guns. Um, we're, we're this close right. to branded baloney again, right? I mean, I enjoyed just... that tweet. Yes. <laughs> yeah, me too. So, you know, because D and D is what it is and it's awesome because you and I have so many reasons to talk about it and our Twitter feed is full of it because everybody's playing D and D or not everybody, but a lot of people. And so that's, what's awesome. But, but it, it does mean that it serves many masters, even inside wizards. It's not simple. Well, and, and maybe before we end, and I know we've been very, very much focused on D and D, but and and you've brought this up a little bit. Are there other companies or other systems that that maybe do this better? Uh, yeah. Whether it's the visual aids or the the DM GM support, what have you seen that's really been effective that uh, maybe could be borrowed or you know used in in a D and D setting? Yeah, so my hunch is that a lot of this flowchart business is around the idea of creating choices. And there are lots of systems out there that give you great choices mm -hmm. uh, continuously throughout their. I mean, every adventure is full of them in like how do you approach it and what you do and, and things and, and what we'd call open play, where the players really are, are not spoon fed a thing and are not, you know, hooked with the fish hook. Um, but rather it's like, have at it, you know, what do you want to do, right? So, um, you know, a good example is Eclipse Phase, which is a sci-fi uh, type of thing where you can change bodies. There's an adventure where, and I'm not going to spoil anything because this is literally how it starts. Okay. You, and it's great for conventions. Every person is given the exact same pregen. You are copies of a person, all of okay. you, the same person, which is illegal. You're not allowed to have multiple copies of yourself. You all wake up in the same room looking at each other going, okay, why are we all here? This is illegal. On the television is a report that you, maybe the real you, uh, have just committed a murder. And that's the adventure start. Nice. And truly, that's what you're given. And you can, from that, decide what you want to do. Now, it'll lead to different areas. But you're really that's how it begins with a very open conversation of how you feel about this, what you think, and it, and it you know, it progresses that way. And those are just the kinds of tales that some companies are creating, right, where there's just a bigger question, right? Or that Knights Black Agents adventure I talked about. The first thing you know is there's a person who works for you and they're going to get on. A, they may be in danger. Uh, they're being taken by an enemy organization onto a plane from one place to the other. What do you want to do about it? And you could intercept before they ever leave. You could get on the plane. You could meet them at their destination. You could just tail them. It all works. Mm -hmm. And so it's just about writing that. And, and we might think, well, modern games do that more easily. And somewhat, that's true. But really, it could be the bad guys getting on a caravan. Uh, we're not exactly, we think they're going to this location what do you want to do about it? And that could be attack the caravan. It could be tail them. You know, it can be all those things, right? It, it can work in a D&D &D setting, but we have to write differently and, and, and yeah, think through that differently. Yeah, it, it sounds like the scale of it changes. And where a lot of, I think, the published adventures are, here's encounters. Here's an encounter. Sure. Here's an encounter. Here's yeah. how maybe you set up the encounter, but here's the encounter. And 
these other systems seem to be more, as you say, open play or a little bit, it doesn't really have a predefined, okay, here's where the encounter happens or here's how it happens. It's more, here's the scenario, go do with it what you will, which is a different approach to, to writing an adventure. Yeah. And, and I think that if, you know, sometimes in D and D we think to ourselves, well, it's because we want to describe the temple where the ritual is being stopped. And that's somewhat true, but a lot of times the room where the ritual is being is to be stopped isn't that great a room. So really, you know, just say, hey, there's nine cultists. Here are their stats. You can take them out wherever, right? And there are some adventures that that are out there. Like Logan Bonner has done some work uh, during 4E, which people might think of 4E as so linear and can't offer choices or whatever. But um, he has a number of adventures that that uh, that I, are very open like that. Or um, Will Doyle, uh, I think it was Will Doyle that wrote the Pixie Adventure, or was it Logan? I can't recall. But one of them wrote the. A pixie adventure that is very much, I mean, it's completely wild because you're all pixies and everything's pixie scale versus real scale, like larger scale. And and it's very open and creative. And, and uh, yeah, there are a number of folks who've done it, including for, for D&D. So it's certainly something that if we if we want more of that open play, which I don't think we always do, but when we want it, there are places to look and it's not a flow chart. <laughs> You had to get that last one in. I, I enjoy that. <laughs> Couldn't help myself. Couldn't help yourself. Uh, but no, you said some kind words about 40. I can't lie there, to you. I know that. Which I always enjoy. Anytime uh, I can uh, give some love to that edition, which uh, was a blast to play and yeah. always have a soft spot in my heart uh, for that edition. Um, well, this has been fascinating. I, I really appreciate your willingness to, to dive into this topic. I think it really helps me understand some of the points you were trying to get across in your most recent article. And, and just to remind folks who are listening, how can they find uh, all the stuff that you wrote, including the the hatred of flowcharts that you <laughs> just reminded yeah. me about? <laughs> Head out to uh, alphastream.org, and that's where you can get the, the free guide that you mentioned if you join my mailing list, and you'll, you can sign up to regularly get these kinds of articles when I publish them. Um, and then from there, you'll also see how you can get to the things that I have on the DMs Guild. Uh, my Twitter is at alphastream as well. And uh, plug the the new podcast. So yeah, how can they find? So that? it's a lot of fun. Um, the the podcast has renamed, and I've been able to join it with Sean Merwin, who is just unbelievable. Uh, I, I always look up to Sean. So being able to trade words with him and think through these things is, is quite the treat. And we tackle the latest D and D books and DM subjects and things like that on a podcast called Mastering Dungeons. It's at Mastering D and D on Twitter, and it's part of the Misdirected Mark podcast network a lot of fun i've been listening to that walking uh, my dog here around the neighborhood lately which before we started recording you saw him getting cozy yeah and as, as i mentioned he has not moved since we, since yeah. we started and he settled in <laughs> um yeah i was pleased that you you uh mentioned the latest article i wrote about strixhaven which yeah I, i'm eager about that setting i'm i'm very excited for some of the hijinks players could get up to in that type of world so uh, yeah, I've been more energized about uh, D&D and uh, gaming in general, so uh, I appreciate you continuing to feed that enthusiasm. And Thanks. I think just in general, you're such an advocate for goodness in the hobby, and I, I appreciate you doing that for, geez, what, like decades now? Well, I can say the same to you. I mean, that's the thing, right, is this hobby, like, we might, you know, 
uh, apply our critical brains to things like this. But reality is D&D is full of awesome adventures. All these adventures we talked about are super fun. Um, and so we're just we're, I, I feel just really lucky, right? Like great people, great stuff to do. And I, I, I wish I were rolling dice right now, right? Like I, it's, it's so good. It's such a good game. Um, I love doing it. And I love all the other RPGs, too, because then they make my D&D better. Yeah, so on that note, everyone, uh, go roll up some characters, go uh, get a game scheduled, and uh, come back next time for, for this podcast and for all of Teos' work, uh, both on the blog and the Mastering Dungeons podcast. And uh, maybe we'll have to go for round four in another couple of years or maybe earlier if, if things get very busy. <laughs> but thank you for Sounds your time. Great. Thank you, Michael. Great time. Thanks. Excellent. <laughs>